Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I hate this time of year. Why? I hate it. You hate everything. No, I don't. Yeah, See, you do. No, that is erroneous information. Okay, butter tarts. You're right. One thing in this world. You are fake news. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I really don't. restart. <laughs> I understand that I get that reputation. Maybe because I complain a lot. But truly, this time of year in particular, I hate. You're right. I hate the three stars. I hate officiating. I hate the alignment of the league. Yep. I hate Dave Brand. I'm kidding. This all, these are all jokes. These are all Delay jokes. Delay game penalty. These Fighting. are... <laughs> Retaliation. These are rants I've been known to go on. But when I say I hate this time of year, I say so because it is the silliest of silly seasons when it comes to the Ontario Hockey League with the trade deadline looming. By the way... Now you hate the most exciting time of the year. No, the most exciting time of the year is the playoffs. And maybe okay, fair. the opening night. It's pretty close. Yes and no. And you're right. Maybe I'm, I have a biased view of this because of what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. But quick look ahead. The next episode of the Farwell and Pope podcast will dissect the trade deadline that was. We're not even going to get into any naming of names at this point because by the time the pod airs, it could, it could change in an instant. We yeah, know because yeah, we're yeah. heading right into, like we are in the heart of the silly season. But what makes it, what makes it frustrating for me is that there are roughly a million experts, maybe a million and three experts out there. And I would love to know where all of these experts are the other 31 weeks of the year. Yeah. It's just, it's tough. Like every, everywhere you go, there's a rumor and somebody's telling you, well, I heard this and I heard that. But isn't that what makes it exciting? Isn't that what draws people in when you have conversations about what certain players would do for certain teams? I kind of like it. I don't like how people, social media that has, has it. made it awful. Because when you used to just go to a bar and you'd sit down and be like, can you imagine if the Rangers got Taylor Radish? Can you imagine if the Rangers got Connor McDavid? Like those are the good old days where you'd be like, oh, I heard he might come. No, you didn't. Your barber th- throughout the idea and you you guys you know talked about it and you thought it sounded good so you heard but social media now anybody can throw that out and all it takes is a retweet or maybe it's just you and I are on Twitter too much and we're searching OHL and you want to see what's going on in the league and you see all these guys and girls who tweet out you know oh I heard this is going on no you didn't or if you did you're hearing it from somebody who doesn't know what's going on that might be the best point you've ever made on air or on the pod. Woo! Social media (laughs) has certainly turned this into an unwieldy beast. And the other part of it is, and I don't want to make it a woe is me thing, but I'm going to make it a woe is me thing. And I told you when we were in Peterborough, which by the way is the home base of this podcast, we are going to uh, play for you in just a little bit. The The MC, uh, Peterborough Memorial Center. That's right. The interview we did right in a dressing room uh, at the PMC. But, we were talking on our post-game show after the Rangers game versus Erie on December the 29th. What do the Kitchener Rangers need to do come trade deadline time? 
and conventional wisdom, pretty much across the board, people will say the Rangers need to upgrade in goal. Yep. And quite honestly, I don't think that would surprise anybody who has started a game in net for the Kitchener Rangers this year. Anthony Dumont-Bouchard, Chris McGonigal, or Luke Richardson. These are not dumb people. They get it. They understand the business that the game is even at this level. But then I stand there on a Friday night in the booth at the odd talking about what the Rangers might need to do come trade deadline time. And the very next game, I'm walking out of the Rangers dressing room, having interviewed head coach Jay McKee for our pregame show. And I'm walking past the kid that I just said for an hour, the previous game, you know, the team needs to upgrade on again. It's tough. It is. And it makes our job difficult. It does. And I'm not asking for anybody to throw me a pity party, but I'm just being honest as as one human being to another. I, that's how I feel. It's tough. And, just an insight into the media world. It's not just us. It's everybody. It's easy for somebody to critique somebody who doesn't go into the dressing room day in and day out. We, we Let's make it uh, big. Like, like DeMar DeRozan, Toronto Raptors. It's easy for me to write a blog and criticize DeMar DeRozan or go to every Raptors game and write and criticize DeMar DeRozan. It's not as easy for Doug Smith to do it, legendary Toronto Raptors reporter, to go into that dressing room to every single practice, every single day, show his face. Those guys, <clears throat> excuse me, who do the critiquing, who go into the dressing room every day, those are the guys who are great journalists because they can find a way to critique in a way that doesn't offend the player. Or if it does, they at least show their face and show the respect that they get from those athletes. But bringing it back to the OHL, that's what makes it so difficult. Is Our job is, when a team is in the hunt, you are asking, what do these teams need to do? What? And then you start throwing around players' names, and then you run into that where, you know, if, if Luke Richardson, for instance, we talked about him, if he wasn't such a quiet demeanor guy, if he had a different, um, a different uh, personality about him, he could have called you out right there. And, and then you have to answer to that. It, it's, a diff- it's a difficult time of year, no matter what sport you're covering. This, that's two great points on one podcast. Did you study for this or something? Yes, <laughs> but no. I think you're and, and here's this is your point is so well taken. And and you and I uh, are not the media types that are going to stand here and say, well, the Rangers need to upgrade in goal because Luke Richardson's piece of crap. No, it's not. And, and we're never going to be that person. No. And, and so to bring it right back around to the way, you know, that Doug Jones might do it is the way I think. And I'm not don't don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to compare, but the way I presented it in our post-game coverage is like, let's just look at reality. And if you look just strictly at the Kitchener Rangers, there are two logical examples to throw out there. Number one is 2008 when the Kitchener Rangers were going to the Memorial cup anyway, as hosts. And yet when the trade deadline came around, they pulled off a freaking blockbuster to get who they believed was the best goalie in the game at the time Hello, Steve Mason. Yeah. We all know how it turned out, but it didn't change the fact that even with a team as good as that Rangers team was, they decided they needed to add. Uh, looking ahead in this podcast, you might hear from somebody on that team. I was going to say, great segue. Go back to 2003, and the exact same situation was in place in Kitchener. That team went on to win the Memorial Cup. The 08 team, of course, made it to the final and lost to Spokane. In 2003, Scott Dickey, there, there was, a, I'll tell you right now, there was a deal in place with the Belleville Bulls for Mike Mole. Period. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Flat out. Pete DeBoer 
didn't think he had the right goaltending. The team still went on to win the Memorial Cup, but when the trade deadline came around, he thought he needed an upgrade. So that just goes to show, no matter how good the team might be, if you think it's your year, you want to solidify yeah. to the best of your ability every position. And no, I, I want to I make a point that it's not a knock against the current goaltender or the current defense or the current forward, the current players you have. It's not a knock. It's this player may be available, and yes, that's an upgrade, or we want to solidify that. Because let's call a spade a spade. If something happens to one of the goaltenders in the Kitchener Rangers net, they are in serious trouble. It's over. It's done. It doesn't matter what forward or defense you come in. If you have an injury right now in goal, you're in trouble to either McGonagall or Richardson. And it's not a knock to them. It's solidifying that position. And you're built for the future. Like Luke Richardson's only 18 and we try not to date ourselves on this podcast, but if you're listening to this, when it came out Friday morning or anytime Friday afternoon, you're going to want to hear the pre or pregame show Friday night ahead of the Rangers and Steelheads. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Little tease, but you're going to want to hear it. There's an apology to, to be made. So the other thing to add to this, uh, since we obviously are the home broadcasters for the Kitchener Rangers, but uh, if your name is Taylor Radish or Logan Brown, you know your address is about to change. Yeah. And and this also gets into the the uncomfortability I have with naming names. It's just, because again, it's there are so many experts out there. You think these players don't read social media? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is, this is what it is. I honestly can't wait until January the 11th. Oh, I, I loved it. Noah Carroll, defenseman of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, formerly of the Guelph Storm. Yes, sir. Told me. Yeah, we we think about the streak. We're talking about the streak. We know about the streak. Pardon? You're the first person to ever say that you guys acknowledge that kind of thing, right? You don't hear that very often. Yep. I talked to, um, I can't remember who it was, the London Knights. We talked about their streak, their winning streak over the Kitchener. They're like, oh, yeah, we know about it. You know, and I was like, oh, you guys you guys talk about that? And they're like, yeah, we know, you know, that we've dominated these guys. Was it Robert Thomas you talked to that game? No. No. Okay. I can't remember now. But anyway. Yeah. It's interesting that the players do, and obviously they do, but... Going back to, it's not a knock at how you're trying to just get the best players available and create the best team. It's really turned into like um, a video game now where you are, you know, you're managing this team and you're trying to make that next step in your career as a general manager. A lot of GMs are. And in order to do that, you need to win. So you sometimes sacrifice your future and are okay with the rebuilding process that you bring in these players. Look no further than last year. Last year was the best example we could ever have about why teams build and why teams trade away draft picks and young players for proven veterans and 19-year-olds. Erie, Windsor, and London all loaded up to proportions we've never seen before. And two of those teams, or one, didn't win a championship, and one didn't win, and two didn't win the Memorial Cup. That's right. Right? So... It's it's a tough time of year, and and but it's also a fun time of year. I I, I like to look at it at the positive side, where there's a lot of excitement around this league right now, and anytime there's excitement around this league, and anytime someone can take notice to junior hockey, I think it's a good thing. Don't even get me started on the whole video game slash fantasy aspect of all of this when you're trading draft picks that are ten years away. Conditional or otherwise. Now, I'm I don't not, see the harm in it. I'm not really saying don't. that because that player is currently six years old, as some fans like to say. I don't give a flying yeah. do about that. No. What I care about is it's just too easy. And uh, I might just offer to eat my shoe 
if Darren Kylie is still the general manager of the Kingston Frontenacs in 2028 when that pick comes due. No offense, Darren. Mr. Kylie, I can uh, assure you that they are dirty shoes right now. They are. Salt. Filthy. It's nasty out. So it's going to be a quick, quick meal for Mike Farwell. Anyway. I'm going to hold you to that. But I, I have no problem with it. It's an asset the team has. Why not use it? So, again, it's there's no point in this particular podcast into getting into all of the intricacies because things are changing by the hour at this time of the season. But to what you just said about Erie and London and Windsor all loading up last year, right now, as of taping, the East, you've got Barry, you've got Kingston, you've got Hamilton that have all loaded up. The West is really interesting to me currently at this very minute because Nobody has bought just yet. You yeah. know moves are coming. Anyway, it's going to be interesting. We will dissect all of it in wait, our next pod. Wait until the World Juniors are over. Yeah, let's do that. We'll okay. Wait till the World Juniors yeah, are over. Yeah, our, our next podcast will have you covered on all the trade happenings. That's the whole idea of yeah. this thing. We, ha- we actually plan things in advance. Sometimes. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> A little bit. All right. We I'm sure did, all our listeners will be happy. As we intend to do with this podcast. Uh, we try to take you on the road with us. And so where we go, we take a microphone. Okay. We take a smartphone because that's, that's 2018 baby. And, uh, this was a, this was a conversation I was looking forward to in light of all of this trade talk and, and fans in Kitchener are are getting pretty anxious. And I, I think I can understand why it's a pretty proud franchise. It's a pretty passionate fan base. And they've been wondering when they get another run at a championship. The last Kitchener Rangers team to uh, win an OHL title was the 2007-2008 version that also hosted the Memorial Cup. And we got to sit down with one of the players that was part of that Kitchener Rangers team. They did win an OHL championship despite going uh, losing three straight in the OHL final, but they were able to come back. Yes, they were able to do co- or do so. So, Mike, you were part of the uh, last championship team in Kitchener, and fans in the city still talk about that, obviously. What do you remember from that year as, of course, Memorial Cup hosts? You wanted to go in the front door, but won an awful lot of games with Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott that year. What was that year like as a player? Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, we had a pretty close group. I'm sure that you experienced that. Um, the coaches demanded you know, the most out of us. Um, they were pretty fair with the way that they handled everything, but you knew that if you weren't showing up, that you weren't going to play. So everyone was held accountable from top to bottom, and you know, it, was, it was an exciting time to be a Kitchener Ranger, that's for sure. Overall, that team, everyone knew the quality of players on that team. What was it like throughout the whole year knowing what kind of players that you were playing with and whatnot? Well, I think everyone was just shocked that I got to play with Nazem Kadri and Mikel Bodker, to be honest. But, uh, you know, people laugh when I tell them that was our second line. So, you know, we were a pretty deep team. You know, you, you see guys like Machinter and Timmins, and, you know, they, they played a pretty significant role for us, not as many minutes as they would have liked to, but they both went on to, you know, play in the NHL and Yannick Weber and all these guys. And, you know, unfortunately, Steve Mason got hurt. Otherwise, I think that, you know, we, we would have done a little better. You know, no knock to Josh Eunice there. But, um, you know, we had an unbelievable team from top to bottom. Like I had mentioned before, it was a close-knit group where, you know, we were hanging out. There was no clicks. There was nothing like that. And, and like I said, it was just a really exciting time to be a Kitchener Ranger. 
I think the number was 53 wins you guys had in that season of 68 games. How, how do you achieve that kind of consistency? Was the message from day one that the expectation is to win every night? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when we found out we were hosting the Mem Cup, the biggest message was that, you know, we want to come in the front door, not the back. And you see, you see a lot of teams, you know, Windsor was a team that lost out in the first round, but they were able to kind of squeeze through and gain some momentum and win a Memorial Cup. But, you know, our, our biggest thing was that we wanted to be the best team starting to end. And, you know, I, I thought we accomplished that. We had a pretty good squad there. But, um, you know, that's it's, it's quite, a, quite a few wins. That's quite a few wins. We had a really good team. And, like I said, you know, it was from top to bottom. It was a total team effort. The coaches made sure there was no complacency in our game. You know, we'd win 12 in a row or 10 in a row, and we'd be showing up on Monday, and we'd be getting bagged for some reason. It, it was, it was kind of odd for me. But, um, you know, the way that those two, Pete and Spotter, and, you know, the guys that had come in, Freddie Parker and Fixie and Troy Smith and all these guys, they, they really held everyone accountable, and they did a really good job. Real quick follow-up on going in the front door because you guys were cruising through the playoffs as well in fact you were on the verge of setting a record of going through 16 and 1 so you've got a 3-0 lead in the OHL final versus the Belleville Bulls you've won you're 15 and 1 at that point in the playoffs and then something happened Mike I'm not sure there was a blip and they take three straight what was the feeling amongst you guys going home from Belleville suddenly tied and having to play a game seven in the OHL final well, obviously, it's frustrating. Um, it would have been pretty nice to finish it in Belleville there, but uh, we came back, and everyone on that team had a lot of confidence. Even, you know, we lost the next game and the next one, and, you know, going into Game 7, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that we were not going to win that game. So, yeah, we, we took a little bit of a longer path than we would have liked to, and, you know, maybe we don't play those three games. We have a little bit more energy in the Mem Cup. You know, you got to kind of look at it from a different perspective there now, but... Um, you know, it, it's just the way it happened. We faced adversity. You know, we knew how to deal with it at the end of the day, and we came out victorious. So, you, you said there was no doubt that you guys were winning Game Seven, but I mean, there had to have been at some point during that series where, you know, you take that heavy swallow and you're like, oh man, what are we doing here? Like, how do we let that one slip? Or what is going on here? Was there was there someone in the room, yourself or anyone, that kind of came up and said before Game Seven that you know this is ours and we're not letting this happen? A guy that was pretty good for that was Azzy. Justin Azevedo was always a guy that said, you know, don't worry, boys, we got this. Don't worry, boys, I got this. Whatever, whatever it took, he was going to do it. And you see the kind of career that a guy like that has had, and, you know, that, that's one of the main reasons why we were where we were that season. And, you know, he didn't get enough uh, praise when we were all there as buddies. But for sure now when you look back, he was, he was the engine that drove our ship there. Everyone around Kitchener knows that life for the Rangers in Kitchener-Waterloo is a good life to have. They're treated very well. The fans love them. Um, but what was, what was it like being a Ranger in that city after an OHL championship? Well, unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling not being a champion in that city. Everyone treats you as if you are. So from the billets to the fans to the front office staff to the coaching staff to the medical staff, everyone treats you as if you're already a winner. And I think that's why there's been such a good history with the Kitchener Rangers and why there will continue to be moving forward. 
You talked about the accountability that was demanded from Pete DeBoer, Steve Spot. You'd be on a 10-game winning streak and you're getting bagged for something on a Monday. Uh, no question that Pete DeBoer especially was one of the toughest coaches that we've seen in this league, and there's a reason he's doing what he's doing now, I'm pretty sure. Uh, as a coach now yourself, do you take any of the techniques that were used by those men into your own coaching? I, I don't think a lot of what they did be allowed now, <laughs> to, to be honest. Or at least the stuff they'd say wouldn't be, but... Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that holding people accountable is a huge thing. And, you know, uh, consistency is the biggest part of hockey. And if you can find a way to be consistent in, you know, whether you're a coach or a player or whatever it is, I think you're going to be successful in whatever you do. You, you mentioned that. And the, the coaching style has changed from back when, you know, we were, all three of us played hockey versus what it is now. How, how difficult is it not being able to rely on those coaching lessons that you've learned from guys like that? Well, you just kind of see how it is nowadays, and if you're too critical, you know, it's more inclined for kids to kind of shut down and think that, you know, you know, he's, he's coming after me or something like that. So you got to kind of find a way to, you know, engage them. It's 23 different personalities in dressing room that you have to kind of find out which way each kid ticks. So, you know, maybe you and I can take a little bit of constructive criticism and, you know, maybe Mike here can't. So um, You're right, right for the record. <laughs> so you got to kind of tiptoe around it that way. But, I mean, everyone's been pretty good. And, you know, we're, we're just trying to find our stride now. We had a big win last game, and we'll, we'll just see how it goes. You mentioned that criticism and that kind of uh, being, being called out. You played the game very hard. It seemed like you never took a shift off. Did you ever need to be called out? I'm sure if you talk to talk to Peter Spotter, they'd they'd give you a, a few words for sure. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I knew that I was an energy guy that um, brought it every night. But then again, you know, I, I contributed offensively. So at the beginning of my career, I kind of found it, it tough to, you know, am I a goal scorer? Am I a fighter? Am I a grinder? You know, so I kind of had to find a balance and you know, kind of level everything out where I think that all really came together after I signed with Florida and came into my overage year and had probably the best year of my career that season. But, um, yeah, that's it, it's, uh, it, it's pretty tough. So, Speaking of signing with Florida, uh, you got a taste of the National Hockey League. What was it like stepping onto the ice for your first NHL game? Exciting. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of hard work paid off. Um, the, the way that I kind of had to go about it is obviously a little bit of a tougher path than everyone else as a free agent, as you know, a 5'9 grinder that's coming in to play in your fourth line. So um, it, was, it was a sign of relief, um, excitement. You know, I was proud of myself. I was you know, proud of my family members for sticking with me throughout everything. And you know, it, it wasn't as long as I would have liked it to last. But at the end of the day, you know, I can say that I, I played there. Was there a guy that you played against or played with that was a real, when you saw him, you were like, holy crap, I made it, kind of thing? Uh, probably, I, I think I played 59 seconds one game in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and that, Pete was the coach then, and I, I didn't get the puck down the ice. It was an icing, and all of a sudden, here comes Sid and Malkin and these guys, and I got hemmed in my zone for another 30 seconds after that, and I came back, and that was it for me. So um, when, when those guys came out, obviously playing against Washington and Backstrom and Ovechkin, and, you know, it's, I mean, the list is really endless, you know, going to New York City and playing in Madison Square Gardens. There's so many memories that, you know, will be with me forever, and, 
you know, once again, it all started with an opportunity playing with the Kitchener Rangers and having guys in my corner like Steve Spott and Pete DeBoer. So let's stick with coaching because that's what you're doing now in the Ontario Hockey League. But you start out as a player coach with the Elmira Jackals. Uh, was was that almost an accidental path to coaching, or did you start to get it in your mind at some point that yes, coaching is what you'd like to do to stay in this game? Yeah, I, I wanted to coach. My brother's coaching Ryerson University. Um, we've had a lot of open dialogue and communication about you know what I wanted to do past my retirement and whatnot. So. I had an opportunity that came up. I, I just really, I wanted to coach. I was ready to kind of retire and shut it down in part ways, but they didn't have a budget for that, so they signed me as the player coach. I took a bit of a pay cut with the understanding that, you know, I, I wasn't going to play any games. Uh, you know, unfortunately for the head coach, he was terminated halfway through the year, which left me by myself running a professional team, you know, doing the everyday GM duties, uh, running practices, you know, juggling lines by yourself on the bench. It was it was definitely an eye opener, but extremely exciting. Speaking of Ryerson, how about that Rams win over Team Canada? Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. So my brother's done a great job with the Ryerson Rams. Uh, the CIS programs nowadays are, you know, way beyond what they were when I was coming up. And you know, you see a, a lot of major junior players that are actually legit players going to the leagues and being successful and moving forward. I mean, Joe Ward's obviously an exception of guys that go CIS and you know make it to the NHL, but I think it's, it's a lot more relatable now than it ever was before. Going back to that decision to, go to, be, or to become a player coach and, and end your playing career, what went into that decision and what was the mindset that you went through? Obviously, it's, nobody wants to stop playing, but when you made that decision to stop and go to the coaching side, what went through your head? Um, for me, it was more so, you know, where, where is the uphill for me now? You know, I, I set an attainable goal, a goal when I was a young kid of playing in the NHL. I made it. I saw a pretty steady decline in the leagues that I was playing in. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was 29 years old. My body hurt. And, you know, I know the game pretty well. I feel like I can, I can relate with players pretty well because of the role that I was in. And, you know, my family experience and a lot of mentors that are all coaches. So um, it was an easy decision for me to kind of go down that path. And, you know, hopefully I can be successful at that like they all have been. How did you end up here in Peterborough? Oh, funny enough, I actually I, I made call after call after call to different teams in the league, and I heard uh, a lot of no's, um, a lot of no callbacks, things of that nature. And I knew that Curtis Foster had signed with the Kingston Frontenacs, and that his role was never filled. So I made a you know a hope call to the Peterborough Peets and spoke to Jody Hall and. The original message I got was that they weren't really looking to fill that position, but I wanted to kind of keep them on the phone for an extra 30, 40 minutes where, you know, I, I can talk, I can keep it rolling there. So, um, you know, he, he said, you know, why don't you come down and we can have a face-to-face interview. So I drove down here about a week later, um, heard back, you know, a couple of weeks after that that I was going to come back and meet the GM and the coach. So I figured that was a good sign. And then after that, there was a uh, just a GM meeting. So Jody actually coached with Steve Spot at the Ivan Holinka. So after I got off the phone with Jody, I called Spotter immediately. And I said, better do your work here, Spotter. You know, I, I did a lot of work for you over the years. Do something for me now. And, uh, you know, like the guy that he is, he's been pretty un- unbelievable to me and my family, you know, since I was a 15-year-old. So... He immediately got on the phone and put in a good word for me, and you know, here I am. 
it, it's 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 funny hear, hearing that story. But when when you got those no's, were were you worried? And a follow up to that, you don't have a chip on your shoulder, do you? Oh <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I had a chip on my shoulder when I was playing. Not yeah. <laughs> not so much now anymore. But. Um, I wasn't really worried. I, I knew that there was going to be, like as a player, there was a lot of adversity for me. There was a lot of, you know, you can't do this or you won't do this for me then. And, you know, at the end of the day, I buried my head, did my work, and kept going. So that's kind of the path that I'm on right now. Are the players today different than the players that you played with and the kind of player you were back in the late 2000? And I don't know, what do we even call that? Anyway, the era you played. <laughs> well... Uh, considering you can only fight three times now, I think it's I think it's a little different than when we played for sure. But um, you know, there you see a lot more skill aspect of the game than it was ever you know mentioned before. I I never did the skill sessions or any of that stuff. Everyone now is you know doing your power skating in the summer, doing your skill sessions every other day. In the you know, I was in the gym for sure, but I wasn't doing the skill work. And uh, you see a lot of speed, talent, you know, fast paced hockey where. You know, it's, it's not as, uh, as physical of a game as it used to be, I don't think. Having dropped your gloves and having that element in your game, do you still think that fighting has a spot in the game the way it is right now? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I don't think a guy needs to go out and fight 40 times a year by any means, but I think that, you know, if something happens and, you know, the dust needs to be settled, someone can go out and do it. I don't necessarily think that you need to go and jump people or the stage fighting was really the way that the game needed to go, but, you know, there's still room for emotion and, you know, people going out and, you know, settling their differences. Are these games against Kitchener, which you're about to coach, uh, special for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first time in Kitchener was was a little different you know I was on the opposite side and not a very nice room and it's uh you know it was a a little different over there but um you know I got to go on the bench for the third period and you know unfortunately we lost the game but you know the Kitchen Rangers hold a pretty pretty special part of my life and my heart there and you know I'll always be a Ranger at the end of the day but as of right now you know we're on the opposition side here and you know we're looking for a W for the Peter Ropeets. It's good to see you back in the game here at this level. Thanks for doing this for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Lastly, has Big Mike changed at all? <laughs> I think he got shorter. <laughs> Offside. <laughs> you may have gotten shorter, but your head's gotten bigger. You planned that, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> I have been waiting for that one since we did the interview. Honest to goodness. I had forgotten. So when we walk into the Peterborough Pete's office uh, to meet Mike and and go about our interview <laughs> he greeted me right away as big mike and i'd forgotten i'd forgotten i was not the title sadly uh that was a name that i was once called on a radio station Mocha that i worked at mike. Mike. it was quite the time and and we had a great relationship with the team the team at the time it's funny you talk to a lot of the guys now they love country music mm-hmm. but back then it was the radio station the top 40 radio station where i was working and yeah, they would come into the studio all the time, all the time. The players were popping by for little interviews and fun times. And, and yeah, Duco was one of them. <laughs> he walks into the office, big Mike. I'm like, oh my gosh, how could I have forgotten? That was the era. Anyway, nice to catch up with him. And he's obviously still got the same sense of humor, the jerk. And he's gotten bigger too. He's jacked, eh? Like he's still in game plan shape for sure. Well, and this is the thing that I always find a little bit distressing. I mean, the guy's in, he's in 1987. Mm-hmm. He's 30 years old and his playing career is over. It just goes to show you the wear and tear on yeah. a person's body playing this game. It's funny how 
Like I used to go and watch that team all the time. Sure. And now I look at it and it's, it's weird how I like, he's younger than I am. And I kind of forget that uh, it, it, to me. He was like enough. I'm just saying, just stop it. I'm just Cause you're still way younger than me. So it's, it's weird to think though. That's all. Yeah. This is the great thing. And Don Cameron always said this and it rings as true as anything that man has ever said. You don't age doing this, Chris, because the players, they're always 16 to 20 years old. You're around that same demographic. So you just keep going every day. I kid you not. Like, I don't know where the last 20 years went with me, honestly. And yeah, it's, it's unbelievable because that crowd you're around, you see them so often. They never change. Mm-hmm. They're always the same five-year demographic. Doesn't and then you just don't notice? They, I'm sure they notice it about you. Well, yeah. but you don't notice it yourself. Certainly isn't our hairlines. We we didn't have one to begin with. No, we did not. Do you remember when you were 16 to 20 in that age range? Yeah, St. Jerome's High School was Color TV around. That's very funny. Thank you. Did you work on that one too? Nope. You're on fire this podcast. You've got a bar that you have just set. <laughs> You're going to have to reach when next. We meet. Uh, the plan was That's a serious question. <laughs> honestly, okay. I, I will say this. I will say. There we go. <laughs> of course, there was color TV. Okay. You're being facetious, but the remote control we first had for our TV was one of those things with the long cable that would sit then on the back of the couch. You'd push the buttons on the. It was like a box. You say it like box. I was around when that. I've you know, always, you've seen these. No, things. I have not. Okay, it wasn't a so hand. I, I promise, I have not. It was not a handheld. I've always remote. had handheld remotes. No. This was not. But you you knew these things existed. No, I did not. You're such a child. Yeah, it was a thing. It was a box with buttons on it. Hmm. And it would attach to the TV on this long cable that you would run through your rec room so that your your quote-unquote remote control could sit near you. Wow. You push the buttons on the box. Okay. Uh, Here's something for you. Yeah. Um, I was down in Florida for Christmas, and uh, we talked with and uh, my brother and dad drove down. And my dad was texting me on, on my way to the place from the airport. And he said, your brother's just going through Cincinnati. And I said, oh, home of Joey Votto and the Reds. And he said, also home to WKRP. Thank you. I was going to say home to Johnny Fever and Herb Tarlick. Right? Well, and, he, and he says to me, he goes, you should Google that. I'm like, dad, I know what WKRP is. He said, it's rain and turkeys. And then I didn't get a response. I had to ask him, did you even get my reference? I, knew, I remember Johnny Fever's name. And he didn't. So anyway. This from the guy who at one time referred to Luke Richardson, Rangers goalie, on the air as Richie. And I said, not Cunningham, folks. And you did not get that reference. No. Happy Days was a TV show. Yeah, no, we, we've had, yeah. yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. Right? Yeah. All right. Sponzi. It was. And Richie Cunningham is best friend. Like, we're best friend. Not like that at all, actually. On Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) at underscore Chris Pope. And And at Farwell underscore OHL. If you have uh, time, please subscribe to the podcast, iTunes or on the podcatcher, 570news.com or on our Twitters. Can uh, they leave reviews and stuff like that? Please do. There's a little review. You can write a little paragraph or just one line saying, stop it, uh, whatever you want to say, and uh, rate us on one through five stars. Send all feedback and inquiries for uh, appearances at your elementary school or your uh, Knights of Columbus dinner. Or at your bar. To Mike at 570news.com. Apparently I can set up my email now. I wonder if I can get Chris or Pope. It should be Pope, right? I hope so. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, it would be. I'm Farwell. I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Hi, I'm Emily Roger 
And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.